the Monkey Mind Podcast, your number one platform for athletes and mental health. Hosted by Danny Perez and Anthony Florentino. This is episode 69 featuring Shannon Murray. Shannon is a clinical therapist and former Division I swimmer at the University of Maine. But before we get to today's episode, we have a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Daily Dose CBD Inc. Daily Dose CBD Inc. creates full-spectrum CBD products ranging from tinctures, bombs, and dog treats. Research has shown that CBD has successful results in aiding in the following areas. Anti-inflammation, anxiety, PTSD, help with breaking addiction, neuroprotection, epilepsy, arthritis, chronic pain, and sleeping disorders. Daily Dose makes an extremely safe and effective product that we know you will love, enjoy, and benefit from. Daily Dose has given Monkey Mind listeners 15% off all their orders. Head over to DailyDoseCBDInc.com and use promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off your purchases. That's promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off all your orders at DailyDoseCBDInc.com. So we have Shannon Murray on today. She's a former Division I swimmer at the University of Maine. Um, yeah, welcome on. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, just to give context, um, she married our old strength and conditioning coach at the University of Maine, Matt Murray, who's now uh, UMass Lowell Riverhawk strength and conditioning coach with their hockey team. Um, so that's how I met her. And um, yeah, we've spoken about mental health in a couple different occasions and um, you're working in that field. So if you could just please introduce yourself to everybody who you are, um, what you do and kind of just your background in sports. Sounds good. So I'm Shannon. Um, I'm a clinical therapist um, working at a mental health hospital uh, in technically located in Bangor, uh, Maine, but I work from home full time for the past, what is it now, a year and a half. Um, So doing all telehealth um, therapy with adolescents to um, young adults and even older adults. So quite a range. Um, And so just basically doing some um, group therapy as well and uh, working with a clinician and um, psychiatrist and a registered dietitian. Yeah, yeah. So talk about your athletic background as well, because obviously you were a swimmer at University of Maine, but also yeah. a, lot of rec- <laughs> a lot of records there as well. So um, yeah. you can boast about yourself for that too, as well. So don't be shy. Oh, thanks. So yeah, I've been swimming. Oh my God. Since I was like six years old. Um, I did club swimming, uh, pretty competitively for most of my career. Um, wasn't much into high school swimming. It wasn't big in my town. Um, but I swam, got to give a shout out to bluefish swim club, um, and Magnus, which is now crimson aquatics, um, in Massachusetts. So, um, that was the bulk of my career. Um, mental health wise, didn't really have any issues in high school until I got to college, um, which is where I swam division one for all four years. Um, I don't even know how many records are still standing at this point. Um, but I swam distance freestyle, um, individual medley back some dabbled in some backstroke. (laughs) Um, so kind of all over the place. Um, 
but I would say, I don't know, probably in high school, um, ha- like just was an anxious person. And then college is kind of where things started to get more competitive for me, I guess, kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond, if you would say, but yeah. So you said the anxiety was always kind of there, but then it um, really, I guess, I wouldn't say got it. I mean, maybe it did, but kind of just elevate or got out of hand in college just because of the environment and obviously playing at a division one level. Yeah. So always an anxious person. Like I'm that girl that like you can talk to me and I will turn like five shades of red. Uh-huh. Um, it just, and it happens without even me feeling anxious sometimes. Like it's just my automatic like body's response. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so always kind of an anxious person, kind of, you always use sports as an outlet to kind of deal with that anxiety outside of the pool. Um, so that was huge for me in high school, um, coming from a single family home. Um, that was a big stressor, just um, those dynamics. And then having that place to go was like key and just kind of like leave it at practice or like whatever swim meet um, was happening that weekend was was really important. Um, and then I would say probably in college, I had a rough freshman year, didn't perform how I wanted to, um, just probably because it was new, but I put so much pressure on myself. And um, I would say like after that year, I, I like kind of locked it down. So um, I think kind of through senior year is when I started to have like a more unhealthy relationship with exercise, um, kind of more of like an obsessive component to it. Um, so that's kind of how mm-hmm. it started for me. Yeah. Um, what was your experience like in regards to that? If you care to talk about it, you know, in, in specifics, like um, I think a lot of people, um, it's kind of a new thing. There's people that go through it. And I think a lot of people maybe don't recognize they're kind of going through that, but um, you know, I guess as an athlete, you're naturally prone to just training all the time, but how for you, was it a, a, in, in the excessive um, range, would you say? Yeah. So I think you hit on the nail Um, in a way, like, I feel like, for example, I didn't know it was going on until I look back um, on those years where I was like, oh my God, like that was happening. Um, For example, like we would do a, you know, two hour practice um, in the pool. And then I would feel the need to like go and run it out and go to the rec center and get an extra workout in because I felt that wasn't enough. Um, kind of just like going above and beyond. Um, and it tied into, you know, my diet too, my nutrition. Um, I would feel really, um, I would put a lot of pressure on myself around like my nutrition and, and get a lot of like food guilt if I was eating outside of like, um, what was, you know, considered good for my body, um, had a lot of good foods versus bad foods. Um, and then I would kind of compensate for that with exercise. So that's kind of where things got excessive. Um, Mm. and like I said, I didn't know what was going on. Um, probably until after the fact, looking back and reflecting Mm. on those instances. 
Yeah. Was it almost like kind of getting uh, to a degree of runner's high of just when you're working out and, you know, you, it's like a sense of, you know, that rush that you get from doing it and you just kind of keep chasing that? Or was it just always like that more so the sense of guilt that you had if you didn't feel like you, I don't know, ha- got enough out of the day? Or was it a little bit of a both? I would say it's twofold for sure. Absolutely. In the sense of like, um, I mean, I loved working out. I love that feeling. I love that feeling of accomplishment, hitting a goal, um, you know, getting a PR or, you know, a personal best, whatever that was, um, in the water or outside of the water. Um, if I was going for a run and like was getting, you know, my best mile times, um, there is that like reinforcement there. Mm. Um, and I think that that's where things kind of get sticky is because there's character traits and, um, attributes that really are positive for athletes, whether that's perseverance or determination, um, kind of working through adversity, you know, those are things that make really good athletes. Um, so I don't know. (laughs) Sorry to see behind me. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I think that's one component. Um, but the other side being, um, the guilty part, like if I felt like I was, I party too hard that weekend or, um, you know, my nutrition was off, like I said, um, I mean, it's real talk. Like I just felt bad about it that I was ready to go that next Monday. And sometimes I wouldn't even wait till that Monday practice. I would just go for it um, that evening or like that next morning when I woke up, regardless of how I was feeling or or what my body was telling me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, like you said that it's, these are all good attributes to have. Mm -hmm. And, and it's hard for me to say, Oh, like it's, it's important to find that balance because it is. But at the end of the day, the elite athletes who achieve the things that they do, you have to go all in, in a sense, and you have to almost be obsessed with it. So it's like, mm-hmm. be obsessed with it and do everything you got to do, but also make sure it's not detrimental to your health, both, both physically and mentally. So it's like finding the sweet spot where you're giving everything you can to the point where it's not actually, you know, regressing your progress. Yeah. It's totally a fine line. Um, and I've seen it a lot in my work. It's just having that, you know, almost like that work-life balance. It's like sports life balance, you know, mm-hmm. um, not letting that trickle into other aspects of your life um, and, and really keeping those things separate and trusting the process. Um, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, also, one thing we talked about, which I'm sure you could agree with, is focusing on the process more so than the goal. Um, so a big thing that we've, you know, that I've learned recently is just, you have your goal, write it down, but then forget about it almost. And just kind of focus on the things you need to do to achieve that and just kind yeah. of get lost in the process of the little things, the, you know, just, I don't know, the whole journey as opposed to just like the end goal. Cause that can be detrimental as well. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I've learned for sure is just being able to trust your body and really be self-aware of what that feedback your body is giving you. Um, I think, you know, there's so much technology out there, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm married to a sports guy, like he loves his sports technology. Um, I think it's a great tool to have, but the best tool is, is yourself. If you know what numbers um, can tell a coach, 
is totally different than what you can Mm -hmm. tell a coach, um, based on what you're feeling, you know, what your stress is, what your sleep's like, um, you know, just what's going on with you personally. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to advocate for yourself. And I think, you know, some people see that as a sign of weakness, Mm -hmm. like to see like, oh, they, um, I don't know, like they were up studying all, I'm thinking of like college, like they were up all studying all night. So they didn't get much sleep. And so they feel like crap the next day. And yet, um, they're either going to overwork themselves or, um, you know, just grind through it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big piece of it too. No, I definitely agree. Um, in regards to your work, like you mentioned before, I'm going to segue into that. If you can just kind of, um, I know you mentioned it in the beginning, but, um, we're, you know, a few minutes into the episode. So if you can kind of remind everybody what you do again and um, just kind of dive into the work that you've been doing for the last seven years now, correct? Yeah. So I kind of, I'm, I'm an eating disorder therapist now. Um, so kind of a specialty that I've really found my niche in. Um, didn't always do eating disorders. I originally started out in early childhood, um, working with little ones. Um, then went to school base in elementary school, um, then went to the hospital setting doing evals. And then I found myself here, really found my passion working with, um, a range of eating disorders. Um, and like I said, all age ranges on an outpatient basis. Okay. Um, talk about eating disorders. You're, um, you're the first person to ever, um, speak on this as a professional in the field. So, um, educate those who don't know, um, kind of just what goes on in your world and what exactly it is in in the most basic form. Okay. Simplify it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Digestible, make it digestible. (laughs) All right. So basically, um, I would say there are four main eating disorders that I see. Um, those include anorexia, um, ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, um, binge eating disorder. Oh, what's the fourth one? Hmm. I'll leave it at that. I might have to come back to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- so at least those three are the main ones that I see. Um, and so basically with um, people getting referred, you can self-refer Um, and we kind of do an eval. We talk about, you know, what's going on, what, like, what made you come see, see us. Um, and typically it's, it's their, um, you know, nutrition taking over their lives They're It's really impeding on their function. What separates those three that I just mentioned, um, anorexia is really that, um, drive for thinness, um, and that fear of weight gain. Um, we see that a lot of times in tip, like stereotypically like runners or dancers, gymnasts, um, based on that certain body type, but that doesn't mean, you know, someone in, um, a higher weight range wouldn't meet criteria for that. Um, the difference between anorexia and ARFID is that ARFID, the avoidant restrictive food intake is that there's no drive for thinness, you know, they don't have a fear of waking, but maybe they're um, just under eating and are experiencing malnutrition. Um, So that's 
um, the mean two, and then binge eating is eating in a, um, a large amount in a short period of time um, with loss of control. And mm-hmm. yeah, so those are the three main ones that I mm-hmm. see. Yeah. One thing you noticed or that you mentioned um, before we run the episode here is that there's been a rise in obsessive exercise and restrictive eating since the coronavirus pa- uh, pandemic. Um, and it's mm-hmm. always been prevalent, but under, I guess, um, underreported. So if you just talk about that and if you have any, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but if you do have any statistics, it's kind of like what they are and um, kind of the main things that you've been seeing since the coronavirus pandemic and wh- why that's been the case. Yeah. So actually, and I just remembered the fourth eating disorder that I see, which okay. is completely the most popular with athletes as well as bulimia nervosa. Okay. Um, that is the, um, an eating disorder where there's a compensatory behavior associated with the eating behavior that could include compulsive exercise, feeling the need to burn off calories. It could be purging, um, or using laxatives or diuretics. Um, so I just wanted to make yep. that as a side note. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, but with the pandemic for, yeah, um, a rise in the sense of people felt a loss of control um, in their lives. A lot of people look to food for a sense of control from, in my experience and, and some um, patients, you know, that I've, I've worked with is, you know, they are just looking for a way to cope with the pandemic and, and feel like, um, you know, they're not going to get fat. So they're going to turn to food because maybe their sports have been canceled or Mm -hmm. they can't go to their local gym. Um, so I've, I've really seen that. I've really seen that in adolescents, um, but as well as collegiate athletes, um, where they've, they're restricting a, um, a large amount and it's really becoming, um, medically compromising for these patients. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing I've seen, um, coming in when I, when I, you had mentioned Danny, like it being underreported. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kind of what I was referencing is before when I was talking about my mental health experience, like people don't know what's happening. Okay, people yep. around you don't always know what's happening. Um, I feel like with certain for certain people with eating disorder, it's very easy to hide or sneak, um, you know, what's really going on for them. Um, as far as, you know, just statistically speaking, um, eating disorders have been the have had the highest mortality rate, um, in all mental health illness. Um, I think now, it's just hitting, you know, second highest, um, with substance abuse illness being the first, um, with eating disorders. Um, I, I had listened a while back on one of your podcasts about, um, I think it was a nutritionist who was on talking about how food and, you know, the brain are so connected. Um, and so when you're experiencing malnutrition, you are, um, your, your mood, your, the way you think, the way, um, you feel is all affected. Um, and so there's also an increase of suicidality. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's very serious. Um, we uh, see a lot of increase in depression and anxiety with, 
with eating disorders. Yeah, that's one thing I've recently learned. It, it's uh, the title was nutritional therapist. So they work mm-hmm. through, they do therapy through food. Um, when you're pretty much when you're starving yourself, you're starving your brain of, of vital nutrients for it to operate properly. And yeah. essentially everything that you eat has a direct effect on your brain. And there's more serotonin producing your gut than there is in your brain. So, it, mm-hmm. and the, you know, there's always, they talk about this. I'm, I'm, I might mess it up again, but it's the vagus nerve that connects your gut to your brain. Mm-hmm. So essentially mental health pretty much can start from your gut and from the food you eat. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues that can be solved in regards to mental health and mental illness, so to speak that can easily be solved just by changing some dietary things in your life and some habits that um, can make an impact, but it's such an under, like, I guess, valued or looked at thing that they think, Oh, it's mental health. I got to sit and meditate or talk to a therapist. Well, no, there's other things in your life that are just patterns and behaviors that are um, greatly affecting and um, negatively that can be changed just by switching up your diet or actually just feeding yourself and properly, you know, hydrating and eating the right thing. So um, that's why I think eating disorders are such a, an, like you said, underlooked thing that um, plays such a huge role. In fact, you said it's, it's second now and mortality rate is, it's a crazy statistic, you know, just to know that it's not really talked about by anybody, but it's such a, a fatal thing to deal with. Yeah, for sure. We, you know, come at it from the sense um, we as in our um, clinic food is medicine. You know, food is that first line of defense. It's going to feed your brain and feed your body and and fuel you for the day um, and really give you what you need to function. Um, It affects the whole body and the medical complications of it are are really serious, um, especially for athletes. Um, You know, the heart is the biggest muscle um, and no athletes need, need that muscle, mm-hmm. um, to be physical. So yeah, it really puts you at risk for something really dangerous happening. Mm-hmm. So what are the, some of the physical effects that come from eating disorders, whether regular person or, you know, obviously this is a platform for athletes, mental health, but it affects everybody. We're all human. So I guess you can say some things that it can affect athletes as far as performance goes. And then just as just regular human beings, kind of those, those things that can be affected? Yeah. So um, for females, especially one of the biggest things is loss of their menstrual cycle. Um, so if they're experiencing extreme malnutrition, typically with what we see with anorexia and ARFID and um, bulimia is um, loss of their menses. We really call that the fifth vital sign. So if, if that's happening, um, you need to get a doctor's appointment. Um, cause that can really tell us a lot about if you're getting adequate nutrients. Um, and that's, and that's a common symptom for a lot of females. Um, but like I said, it can affect you really from head to toe here, um, from hair loss to your cardiovascular system, to your endocrine system, um, hormones, dehydration, um, all of those electrolytes imbalances. Mm. Um, it's, it's scary. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, as far as one thing we haven't talked about yet is body dysmorphia. Um, mm if we can kind of talk about that and, you know, body image, I think that's such a prevalent issue that we're seeing. I think, yeah. I think it's always been um, obviously, 
but I think it's heightened up now with um, I'd say social media and everyone putting their best selves and a lot of edited photos. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely been a major issue that we're seeing in our society these days. So if you can kind of talk about that and um, yeah. Yeah. So to kind of connect it back to that point with the pandemic, um, a lot of, you know, social media use spiked um, with everyone being home, not being able to get out. Um, and so what are they doing? They're online, they're on social media, looking at Instagram, TikTok, um, and you know, those plat- all those platforms are great. And at the same time, what are you doing? You're comparing yourself to what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was a huge factor. Um, and, you know, starting young, start like, kids in fifth grade, fourth grade, um, are experiencing poor body image. Um, and that just follows you through, um, through life as that, when that starts. So, um, yeah, body dysmorphia is, is a really key component. Um, especially with athletes who, um, who want a certain body type, uh, who want to look like, um, they play their sport or they want to, you know, look like a runner or look like a football player. Um, you know, what those stereotypical players are. Um, and so it becomes, um, almost like a, like, have you ever been to like a carnival or a fair and you see like those fun house mirrors and they make you look so crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what people see when they look in the mirror, when they're experiencing body dysmorphia, they become so, you know, channeled in on different parts of themselves and are so critical. Um, and it can really, uh, attribute to the disordered eating part as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, I feel like males are, um, I would say it's more underreported in males um, than females. Um, just in my experience, I've, I've worked with um, baseball players, like I said, football players um, who want a certain look, who, who feel like they don't have enough muscle um, and it becomes really distressing for them. It brings them down. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see it in, um, in males that it's underreported. Um, I don't think anyone, I mean, I think typically men don't feel like talking about their feelings and when they're struggling with mental health. So I feel like when it comes to their body, they kind of definitely see that as an issue that they shouldn't be dealing with, but you know, low key they do. So um, definitely agree with that. And if you, if you feel comfortable talking about this, I have a quick question that just came to my head. Um, It's kind of like with our society that we're in right now, as far as like, there's kind of this clash of, fitness junkies and fitness enthusiasts who are constantly in the gym and um, trying to look like a Greek God or goddess. Right. But then you have the other spectrum of it where it's like um, the anti-fat shaming and, and understanding that like, this is my body and just kind of taking the complete opposite approach where it's like, well, I'm just going to own what, however body type I have and not take care of myself at all to a degree. And I kind of was curious what your thoughts on that, because I think that that's also very um, <clears throat> detrimental and, and not healthy because I mean, I, I personally, I don't care. Like it's your life. You do whatever you want. It doesn't affect me at the end of the day, but I feel like we come to a point where it's like, 
you're either super ripped or you just like don't care at all. And it's just like, where's the balance in it? Like, where's your balance? And I feel like it's, it's a, um, it's not healthy to be at a point where you're telling people like, Oh, just own your body and not care. Like who cares? Like, don't, don't call me fat or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, like if I have a family member who's severely out of shape and they're extremely overweight, I feel like I'd say something, but you're going to just for my sake, cause I want them around, mm-hmm. you know, what are your, what are your kind of thoughts on, on that sort of thing and how, um, there's kind of like that clap back of, I don't care. I'm not going to work out. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And cause that's also a problem too. Wouldn't you say? So you just opened a can of worms. Here, I know right? I did, but, but you know, I'm, I'm here. That's, I guess no. it's, I, 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 if you don't mind talking about it, obviously, but I feel like that's, you know, if we're going to yeah, and the, and the stigma on mental health, I feel like might as well ask the hard questions, right? Yeah. Let's unpack some of it. So, um, you know, in the work that I do, um, we very much use a health at every size approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we meet our patients where they're at and, and working on some of that self-acceptance if they're in a larger body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, so twofold again, um, you're talking about kind of people who um, are hyper-focused on working out and eating and kind of being a fitspiration. Yeah, um, which I mean, it, that's fine. Like I, you know, I mean, whatever. Like, and I don't, I don't think that, I think that people who are in larger bodies, like own that, like, yeah, be completely accepting of your yeah. body, but there's like, so like, there's so opposite ends of the spectrum of it. And like the fit kind of Greek God and goddess has always been like kind of in, like everyone wants to look that way, but now there's like this complete other side where it's like, I'm so large and like, this is my body. I'm going to own it. And that's, I think, super unhealthy too. And I, I don't think everyone needs to look like there's completely chiseled and sculpted, but yeah. at the same time, also take care of yourself as well is, is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Cause at the end of the day, there are some negative health effects. That's kind of the question I was asking. So. Yeah. I think one term that really comes to mind is, is diet culture. Um, so there's so much out there. Um, in our society that really promotes thinness and mm-hmm. an appearance ideal, mm-hmm. um, meaning you should look like, you know, what's in those magazines yeah. or what's on your social media. Um, and it really, um, it, it really affects people who don't fit that mold, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, are in those larger bodies and, um, have different body shapes and sizes. Um, I think partly, um, all, all bodies, you know, are normal. And so I, I think we put such an, as a society, such a negative emphasis on that larger bodies are bad. Um, and when you come at it from like that medical model of, you know, of fat shaming or, um, you know, being quote morbidly obese, um, based on BMI, which we won't even get into that. Cause that's ancient, um, is really not an effective way to provide effective healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so just by looking at someone, you cannot tell if they are healthy or unhealthy. Um, and I think that's where the health at every size, um, movement is, is so important that we're not providing healthcare based on people who are um, 
who are in larger bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really key piece. Um, and I think that I, th- I think it's about our language and how we talk to people yep. that really matters. Um, like let's break that, you know, stigma that being fat is bad. Um, because like I said, what you, you know, that, uh, kind of comparison thing where like, if you and I both ate the same thing in, in a day, then we're both not going to look the same in mm-hmm. a few months. Of course. Like it's, it's, it's literally what our own individual selves need. Um, and so I think in part, you know, when we think about eating disorders and how food can play a role in that, um, it's what we call intuitive eating. Um, and really, again, listening to your feedback from your body and listening to like what feels good in your body. Um, and, you know, what tastes good? What are your cravings? You know, what did you, culturally, like you're probably going to eat something different than I would eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's room for that. Um, getting rid of those labels of unhealthy versus healthy foods. Um, you know, good and bad foods. I'm rambling here, but no, that's um, this is all great stuff. So keep going. <laughs> I think that, you know, those are just like the biggest components um, of really honoring what what you need individually, because mm-hmm. it isn't a one size fits all world here. Um, yeah. all, bodies are diverse. They are meant to be diverse, diverse. Um, I think the best, um, if you have it, I, maybe you can link this in the notes or something, but um, there's a poodle science video with health at every size. And it's a great metaphor um, for people to watch. It's a two minute video and it talks about dogs. Like, dogs are all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet we don't, you know, put down those larger, bigger dogs because they don't look like those little tiny dogs that are so cute and cuddly. We appreciate them all for what they are. Um, and I love that metaphor because I mean, it's true. It's the same with humans. We're not all meant to, to be the same. Yeah, no, I, I, and I do agree. Um, I, I totally agree about like the whole magazine thing where it's like, not everyone's going to look like that. Not everyone should look like that. And I do agree that we should embrace everybody for who they are and how they are. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I just, I was curious because I was, I don't know. Like, I don't know like if there are any negative medical effects towards what I was asking. I just, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of asking what I've been told my whole <laughs> life where it's like, if you're, uh, you know, larger or at a certain weight for a certain height, like you're in a bad spot and you're going to get you know, predisposed to all these medical conditions. And um, I was kind of asking because, you know, I, maybe I'm ignorant or whatever, but I was just, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of blind in it. So um, yeah, I, think- I just grew up to think one way and that's it. I mean, I respect everybody, obviously, but I'm saying like, as an athlete, you're just like being the best shape and you look in the mirror, if you look like you're in great shape, maybe you could be a little bit better. So I'm always just kind of having that mindset. That's why I was asking. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're asking those questions. And I think, you know, doing this podcast is a great way to kind of just put new information out there. There is a, you know, for lack of better words, a traditional mentality around, um, around, you know, for like how athletes should look or, you know, being, or what's going to look good with clothes on or all just different things. Um, And so, I think to answer your back to like your original question of like, um, like my thoughts on 
those, those extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, what's the takeaway here is really approaching those issues, um, with an individual care plan or like an individual treatment plan. Um, just connecting it again to my work as I work with PCPs, um, and I've, I've worked with people who are in larger bodies that have, um, have been diagnosed with type two diabetes. Um, and so it's really coordinating um, that treatment with the uh, physician to best meet the person's needs. You know, just because a doctor says, this is what you need to do, doesn't mean that's always gonna fit, you know, what that person's lifestyle is. Is that right? I don't know. Um, you kind of think of it as another metaphor here is, you know, we all grow up maybe knowing that um, cliche, but lawyers or doctors are going to make the most money. But yet, if we know that's not like our passion and what's mm -hmm. going to work for us, like, we're not going to go do that. We're going to go exactly. do something that we that works for our lifestyles and you know, how we operate as people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's a different way to think. No, that's awesome. I'm happy you you know, talked about that and went down that rabbit hole and kind of gave those metaphors and just for anyone yeah. out there listening, to anyone out there listening, I'm so, I'm so sorry if I offended you. That was not my, <laughs> was not much plan. I, please, I hope I don't get canceled or whatever, but I'm just trying to like clear the air because I'm trying to learn too as I do this. And I think it's important to, to talk about these sensitive subjects in a, in a constructive manner where we can have a conversation and, you know, have yeah. conversations with educated professionals in the field and, um, yeah. So like I said, I'm sorry if I offended anybody wasn't the plan or wasn't but I think, what I'm trying to do, but I'm just, no, Danny, I think, you know, I think asking that is so important and just really kind of asking your, like whoever's listening, like asking yourselves those questions of like, what are my views on body image? What mm -hmm. are my views, views on nutrition? Um, how does that affect my life? Um, and how does that make me feel? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, completely agree um and then one final point here that you mentioned uh earlier or just before we um you know spoke here on this podcast is that the, just the importance of um eating disorders and how it can affect your sport and take you out of the game which is ultimately what we all love and do mm -hmm. just kind of stressing that point i know you wanted to talk about that yeah this is definitely a key takeaway um you know thinking about how important our sports can be to athletes, um, whether it's an outlet, whether, you know, you're a paid professional, um, whether it's just something you enjoy doing, um, the dangers of eating disorders can be so extreme where, you know, the doctor doesn't feel like you're, um, clear to play. Um, and so it really ends up being a, um, I don't know, kind of, it kind of gets in your own way of, of, you know, for me doing, you know, the thing I want to do most and then being told like, oh, I can't, um, I can't, you know, go to this meet or this practice. And they said, I can't until I'm healthy um, or until, you know, my body's operating <laughs> how it should, mm -hmm. um, I'm out. Um, so I think that's just another example of like the dangers of eating disorders. Um, again, coming from that, like malnutrition, um, aspect, um, it's really serious. Um, so I think I just want to really stress that, 
Um, if anything is, you know, go schedule a doctor's appointment um, because of course safety is the priority here. Um, we want athletes to play safe and perform safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You said that it's something a lot of people have mentioned here as well is that just speak up before it gets to the point where it's out of hand and, and you're out of the game ultimately. Cause at the end of the day, we all care so much about the sports we, we play, like you said, and it does no good if you're on the sidelines because you didn't, you know, speak up earlier and get yourself checked out. So there's no, there's no sense in hiding. It's only going to make it worse. So I'm happy that you reiterated that. Um, and we don't want to take up too much of your time here. I, I appreciate you coming on and talking. If there was one last thing that, um, you know, like a statement that you'd like to say or, or something that you would have wanted to know or something that you wish, you know, or you want people to know out there who are struggling with eating disorders or, um, anything of that nature, what is it? And yeah, just kind of, uh, that final piece of advice or last um, statement. <laughs> um, I think what I would say as like the final takeaway would just be, um, mental health matters. I know that's a little cliche here. Um, but I think, you know, before it's too late, you just got to be able to be honest with yourselves and those people around you. And it's not a sign of weakness. Um, and it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk. And um, there's a lot of great information here and I'm excited to put this out there for everyone to hear. So um, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Of course, Danny. Thank you. Thank you.